calling on the phone. And he'd say, mine is the time. That was back in the day before FaceTime and all those things when you could actually see the person. And so uh, glad to be able to be with you today. And there was a lot of conversation this week whether I would be here today or not. And by God's grace, I am here. <clears throat> and I'm not making any excuses either, but, uh, you know, even in the preparation. Um, and so I'm just believing in God that he promises that his word will not come back void. And, uh, you know, I kind of thought, well, I'm telling you about the fact that we can be people who uh, continue on, keep on keeping on in the midst of trials and tribulations and difficulties. And so I was determined this week, with God's help, that I was going to get up and preach his word, no matter what I was going through this week. Because that would kind of defeat the purpose <laughs> to be preaching to you about the power of God that can help you keep on keeping on. <clears throat> if I was not able to be here. Now, the Lord knew that. I just left that in his hands. Ultimately, God knows. Uh, and so, with the Lord's help, I still have this terrible, terrible taste. And so, these are my best friends in these days. And unfortunately, uh, in order to be able to preach today, I do need to have that cough drop. But I think the Lord can move despite even that. And we have been starting this new series, as you've heard Pastor uh, Sheila even uh, pray, resident aliens, we are foreigners, we are strangers, we are only traveling through this world. We looked at this last week, it was our intro, um, and anytime you want to see a message that you haven't seen, you can go on our website, Pastor Mike has them all there for you. So if you missed last week and you're wanting to kind of get the background of what we're doing today, go ahead and, and watch that last week, and, and that kind of helps you to kind of set the groundwork of where we're going in these few weeks together. We did say we don't have time to go through the whole first letter of Peter, but we're going to be stopping in some places <clears throat> that kind of fits with this theme of his letter that he is writing. And uh, I have a little, you know, thought here today of, of road trips. Remember road trips? Well, actually road trips were very popular when COVID first hit, weren't they? because people couldn't travel far, so they were kind of encouraging to do road trips in Canada. Remember those road trips, those vacations that weren't quite perfect? <laughs> that didn't quite make, would make a magazine. I, you know, I laugh at Facebook how people put pictures up, and it's like fake news. That is not a road trip. I've been on road trips with my family, and they don't look that perfect that they seem to look on, on all these Facebook shots. You know, you drove five days out of the 14. It was rainy and cloudy for a lot of those days. A tire blew and needed repair while you waited for hours on the side of the road. Everybody got was sick at some point in the trip. Fast food got old, stomachs got tender, tempers got short. There were accidents and detours and traffic jams. In other words, there were a lot of problems. But usually as you get towards the end of a road trip, sometimes at the beginning of a road trip, all you long for is what? Home. You can't wait to get home. We know what awaits us at home. Rest, remotes that we know how to work, our own bed and pillows, entertainment of our own choosing, our garden where we can sit and enjoy our comfy PJs. Hallelujah for comfy PJs. And even on the last day driving, no matter how difficult it was, 
I remember us in Edmonton in October hitting snow. And you're thinking all that you can do is you need to pull over and stay another night in the hotel. And like any good islander that's been up visiting T.O. and coming home, what do you do? You don't stop for another night in the hotel. You white-knuckle it all the way to Pia. <laughs> that was my stepdad's every summer. That was our road trip. You white-knuckle it to Pia. Because you want it to be what? Home. Peter, my friends, today is writing about home. He, he's saying to this audience that the journey, yes, has been hard. It's not been any picnic for them. He understood their hardship that they were going through. And the early church lived in a time when their lives were on the line. And there was the threat now of persecution that was happening as Peter writes this letter. And Peter leaves with this, you are aliens. Remember we said this, you are strangers. You are resident aliens. You're just passing through. He reminds them that they have a living hope. He reminds them of their heavenly home. The place where the true citizenship lies. I reside in Elmsdale, PEI, but that's not my citizenship. I might have a Canadian and an Italian citizenship, as I said last week, but my true citizenship, where I truly belong, is the kingdom of God. And I am waiting for that day when I get to enter into that country, into that land that is fairer than day. I'm longing, I hope and pray you're longing for it too. And so Peter starts in this first chapter. Remember last week we hit chapter 2, verse 11 in particular, because we wanted, that was kind of the best verse about the theme for his letter. Now today we're backing up to this chapter 1, and chapter 1 is so full, you could spend the next 12 weeks just on chapter 1. And so I am in particular looking at this verse 3 of this, and then we'll look at some other verses there that Dave read for us today. But just look at how beautiful this verse is. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow, that, that verse is power-packed. And, um, you know, one of, one of the things we need to realize here is, is this is kind of the... Prequel, the, the beginning part of, of this first, first nine verses, what, what Peter's saying in this section is, is kind of what he's going to unfold in the rest of his letter. So he's trying to give you a taste, okay, this is what we're going to talk about in this letter. But let me show you very quickly what I, I want to say to you. Remember we said last week, this letter wasn't written for a particular church. This letter was written to the whole church, and in the early church, they loved the letter of Peter, and they read it, and reread it, and they did it to encourage one another. What did we say last week is encourage? What is that? To give courage. To give courage to someone else. And so Peter is using this letter, and he's writing it to give them courage. And so today, I want us to realize that we have... Uh, today, resident aliens have a living hope. We have a living hope. Turn to somebody, if you can find them in a few, turn to them and say, you have a living hope. Eleanor, you have a living hope. She's looking for someone to say it to. There's a few of you 
today. You have a if you are in Christ, you have a living hope. What is hope? Well, Hebrews tells us, doesn't it? We go to the book of Hebrews when we're looking for hope. But biblical hope is different than worldly hope. Say, worldly hope is this uncertain desire. Well, I hope tonight I make it home in time for dinner. <laughs> that, that's that desire to be home for dinner. That is, I'm, and I use that word hope very flippantly. And it's like this, well, I hope it works out. That is not biblical hope. Biblical hope is that confident expectation. It is that blessed assurance we sing about. That is the hope that we are talking about today. And so here's the question today. Do you have hope? In all that's going on in our world around us, in all the difficulties, with so many today down sick, even with COVID within our congregation, in our community, those working in healthcare, those working in the school system, those out on the farms and out on wharfs and some parts of the wharfs, the PEI are gone, so we can't even stand there. Do we today have living hope? Peter tells us what's the basis of our living hope. He says the basis for our living hope is because you have new birth. You have been born again in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, or you can't be a Christian in my opinion, and it's biblical, you are not a Christian. You might like the philosophy of Christ. You might like the traditions that you were raised in the church. But unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through the blood of the Lamb and His sacrifice, you are not a Christian. You need to come to this realization that I have been born again. We've said it before. Born anew. Born from above is also a way it can be interpreted. And so Jesus is saying, you know, I mean, Peter is saying here, but Jesus is the one who paid the price for us that we can come to a place where we can have a spiritual birth. Now, I think we've all had a physical birth. You didn't even laugh at that. Because <laughs> you're here. Right? And so it's great we've all had a physical birth. But Peter is reminding them you've had a spiritual birth. You are born again. You are born anew. This is one of the reasons why you can have this wonderful basis of your faith. Is that you have been born again. Our thinking has been changed. Our, 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 we have been regenerated. We have been redeemed. We are being changed and transformed by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And because we were born into a physical birth in this world, we now have had a spiritual birth in the world to come that has already come through in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and showing us things differently than the way the world sees it. And so that gives us this wonderful living he says the basis for your living hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and we don't serve a dead Savior. We don't go and find a monument somewhere and his bones are there and we bow down to a bunch of bones. We have a Savior who didn't just die on the cross for us, but rose again. And death has been swallowed up. And my spiritual death has been swallowed up. And I shall live. Even yet I die. Even yet this body will be put 
someday down in a hole in the ground, I am going to live on. Because I serve a resurrected Savior. Do you realize one of the things that we don't talk enough in the church about, and Pastor Mike and I have had that conversation, we don't even talk about it enough at funerals, is the resurrection of Christ. The early church, yes, it's important to talk about the cross. But the one thing you notice most of the messages in the New Testament, most of the messages in the book of Acts, was they talked about what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that was the miraculous. The loving, the loving was a Savior who was willing to be nailed to a cruel tree for you and me. But the miraculous was he didn't stay on that cross and he didn't stay in that tomb. But like that, God turned the whole situation around for humanity. And up from that grave, he arose. And yes, I know it's not Easter. But it's a message that can give us living hope. And then he says, you want to know the basis of your living hope? Well, today it's God's mercy. It is God's mercy. None of us deserved any of this. None of us deserved having this living hope. It is because of God's mercy. So no matter your background, no matter who your actual parents were, God himself has become your heavenly father. We now have become a new people. We have new life. And because of this new life has come to birth in the world in the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And it's because of all of this, because of God's mercy. None of you have done anything to deserve that. You have new birth, new life, new family, new future, and it's all because of God's mercy. Your hope of your new birth today is based in God's undeserved kindness. I like what somebody said. What a sweet thing it is when a church is filled with people who know everything they have is from God's mercy. It changes the way you talk. It changes the way you treat each other. It changes everything around the dinner table. It changes marriages. It changes everything in board meetings. It changes everything in worship services. When everybody looks at everybody else and says, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve your friendship. I don't deserve the body of Christ. I don't deserve you to even be nice to me or befriend me. I don't deserve the sweetness and the beauty of this worship. I don't deserve the family of believers. I don't deserve life. I don't deserve breath. And everything I have is because of the mercy of God. It changes the community. It changes our perspective. It changes everything. When I don't go around proclaiming my rights, my wishes, my wants. When all I can say is, but for the grace of God. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. When was the last time we thanked him lately for his mercy? And so he shows us, Peter, here, that you have a basis for your living hope. The basis for your living hope is you are born again in Christ Jesus. The basis for your hope is the mercy of God. He says the basis of your hope is the resurrection of Christ. And then he says, oh, but you have a future hope. 
And see, it's kind of neat because if we're not careful, in the church today, all we talk about is future hope. I will break by and by, I have a future hope. Peter's trying to say to these ones, it's not in some day that you're going to have a hope. You have a basis now for hope, and we'll see later also the hope, why you can have hope today. But he says there is a future hope. We're, we're walking towards something. We are moving towards something. A word that's used a lot in scripture is teleos. We have a goal. We have a goal. We're on the move. The church is on the move. All these ones going around saying the church is done, the church is finished, the church is over. It's totally wrong because the church will always triumph on and it is on the move and it is moving forward, my friends. And we are moving forward to a wonderful and glorious day. And so he says in verse 4, and then 7 and 8, look at this. You are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's verse 3. And this is how he continues on. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept from heaven for you. The word inheritance implies what? A future. You know, we have an inheritance, but we haven't received it yet. And so there is this wonderful future that is coming our way. And he uses some words to describe this inheritance. He said, it will not perish. You know, God's word tells us in the Gospels that we are to store up our treasures where? We are called to store up our treasures in heaven. And so, you know, everything around us seems to disappear. Everything around us seems to be perishing. Everything runs down and breaks. And I know our farmers would say, that's right, Pastor, when it comes to farm equipment. It's always a challenge this time of year. But no matter how hard you work on those mechanics and you're all prepared, it will break down on you. I remember one year, I don't remember who it was, Daryl, that they were ready to get off, start fishing in the spring, and the boat died in the water the first day of the season. Right? Perishing. It's all perishing. And if you're not careful, all of that can cause you to become very fatalistic, negative, and say, well, what's the, what's the use? I remember many, many years ago, Naples had uh, experienced so many earthquakes that Mike and I were visiting Naples, and literally in the middle of the highway, we were driving around broken down vehicles and things around us because people had just given up clearing the road. People had given up repairing their homes on the outside because it was all crumbling anyway. It was all falling apart anyway. And the next earthquake was going to take us. <clears throat> and so there's sometimes if we're not careful, even as believers, we can almost have that mindset that, you know, well, it's just all wasting away anyway. So what's the point? And so Peter says, it will not perish, my friend. That you have an inheritance, a future inheritance that will not perish. In heaven there will be no corruption. That's another word that people use is corruption here. There will be no potholes, praise God, and broken down vehicles and stomach bug and family tensions and reality TV shows. And there will be no sickness and death, no natural disasters or mass shootings, no broken or abusive relationships. No despair or addictions or loneliness. No more regret or grief or longing for what's been lost because nothing pure will be impure. Nothing good will be missing. And nothing good 
will ever again be lost. Peter's trying to remind them of their future inheritance, that it will not perish. He says it will not spoil. Another word for spoil is defile, un undefiled, right? Where we're looking at it will not be undefiled. But defiled has that connotation. I was just trying to think now, you're deciding to take a trip to T.O. and you're up there and you're going to go through a good lease game. I won't go on anymore there. And you're, and you're looking at all the glamour and lights because for anyone living, you know, in a small town, you don't get to experience big city. And so you're there, and it looks all posh, and it looks great, and it looks this wonderful experience. And you get to go to the least game, and they actually win. And so it's just a really good experience. But I want to tell you that Toronto is defiled. <laughs> and right around that corner of all that's shiny and beautiful, you'll see some of the worst things you've ever seen. Some of the most sinful things you've ever seen. Because cities around the globe today, no matter how pretty they are and tourism tries to present them, they are defiled. They are spoiled. And all of humanity and brokenness is at every corner. And addictions are at every corner. And women selling their bodies is at every corner. And there are things in, in Toronto going on behind the scenes that would make your skin crawl. That's true of any city. And quite honestly, what shocks us is when we find out that's been going on in a small town. The point that Peter's trying to say is we see it all around us. Humanity is spoiled and fallen and sinful and broken, and it's it's everywhere. But in heaven, that great inheritance, there will be no impurity, no contamination, no sinfulness in it, no defect. It will be joy and beauty and goodness and truth and love and that will never fade and never spoil and it will be unmarked. And then he says your inheritance that God has for you, it will never fade. Now I remember many years ago, you know a lot of people are looking at their investments and different things that are happening. And uh, I remember a dear couple in our church, they had come to a point in their lives where they were having to downsize, but they were also in financial difficulty. They'd both gone to be with the Lord, and, and they were looking for someone in the church to help them. Because, see, what they had done, they had listened to a lie that was out there that back in the day, that if they bought these collector plates back in the 70s and 60s, and the prices on them were $70 even back then. If they bought these designer plates, someday, that would be their nest egg, and they could sell them, and, and, and these designer plates were going to be able to make them rich. And so this couple had all these designer plates that over the years they invested in. And now it came to a point where they were financially in dire straits. And so they went online to see how much these designer plates, they had ones with the king and I, they had Elvis ones, they had all different kinds. And uh, when they went on eBay back in the years ago, they found out the plate that they had, had sent $75 for was now lucky if they could get it through. I remember they gave me a couple of their plates as a gift. And I still have them and I cherish them, not because of the value, because they have no value now but because of who they were and what they meant to me that I cherish them. They're priceless to me because of them. 
But literally, the value of these designer plates faded away. I've often gone to ruins in Europe and different places and looked and wondered what was the family that lived there and how much that home was so precious to them and how much money did they put into that home and into the decorating and all of that. And now I'm walking through it and years later and all of this is ruins and maybe I might be able to find a part of the fancy artwork mosaic on the floor of that ruin, but it's all gone. And the truth of it is, even all the time and money and energy we put into our homes and what we appreciate and what we like the beauty of and everything, a hundred years from now, or two hundred if the Lord tarries that long, will probably be another ruin that somebody will drive by in Prince Edward Island and wonder why that building is still standing. Peter's saying, it's all fading away, my friends. It's all fading away. But he says, this inheritance that God has for you, this future inheritance, it will not fade, it will not crumble, it will not fall apart, it will not spoil, as we already said. It is actually becoming greater, and it is becoming more glorious and more beautiful as you wait for that great inheritance that he has for you in the future. So how can we have hope today? What is he saying here that we can have hope today? The Christian philosophy of life is not it's all pie in the sky. Somewhere out there, somewhere in the future. It is out in the future, but that's not all the hope that you can have today in facing difficulties. He says you can have hope today because you experience faith. And that faith is putting your trust, that's what really faith is, is putting our trust with God. We can have a living hope today because verse 5, being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Look at verse 7 if you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter 1. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? We sang about the refiner's fire. He's saying just like gold is not really gold, we don't appreciate it because of the dross and the way it is. It needs to go through fire for the refiner's fire to bring out the beauty of gold. And he says that's your faith. Your faith right now is being tested. Your faith is going through all kinds of difficulties, but it is bringing it forth like gold. It's making it pure. It's making it beautiful. It's making it something amazing. And so God is saying to you, you can have hope today because even though you're going even through the refiner's fire, God is building your faith into something beautiful, something stronger, something greater. And do you know what's amazing in this verse? I know we don't do it for this reason, but he's saying there's going to come a day when you have stood the test when you have gone through the refiner's fire, and God, when he sees you face to face, he's going to honor you, you, he's going to glory in you, and he's going to praise you. Did you understand that? Like, that just, to me, is amazing. Now, Jesus said that when we see him, he'll say to those who are faithful, well done. What did he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. 
We know that Paul says in Corinth that each one of you will receive his praise from God. Have you ever thought of that? See, we praise God, don't we? But Peter is trying to encourage these ones. There will come a day when you will receive your praise from God. That day that you stand before the throne. That day when you stand there and you're still standing. You're there. You made it through. The Lord is going to look at you and praise you and thank you and say, well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. Peter says we love him. He says you have never met him. Peter knows he, he walked with him and he talked with him and he's seen him face to face. This is this important moment in church history when those who had seen him are now going to pass on and the baton is going to be passed on to a church who has never seen him. And even though you have not seen him, you love him. And so he's encouraging you today that you love him. And that love, he becomes your treasure. That love can grow and mature. That love started small in your new birth. But now, now it's, it's blossoming into something even better and greater. He then says, you have a joy. I hope you have a joy. Because he says how important for us to realize that we have a joy. He says that the joy is inexpressible and glorified. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Notice this is present tense. This is not, oh Lord, i got to get through this and i got to be miserable for the rest of my life. And then one day, hallelujah, when I cross the great divide, I'll have joy. Peter is saying that joy is supposed to be part of your life today. That's why you can have a living hope. Because though it doesn't make sense to other people, do you know that Christians often look like fools to non-Christians? They can't comprehend how your whole life is falling apart. And yet you can still have joy. Not happiness. See, the world searches for happiness. What we have is something much deeper than happiness. Happiness is fleeting. It's here today, God tomorrow. But we all can have a joy that doesn't make sense to anyone else but us. Now here's the truth. Peter is very honest with them. And I've, I've been trying to be honest with you. We've been looking at the reality of being honest with each other. He says in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by the fiery trials, these various trials. We live in a day when North America only preaches and teaches, if we're not careful, prosperity preaching. And all a believer is ever supposed to be is happy, 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 happy. And no difficulties ever supposed to come to your door. And you're not supposed to be going through this. You hear it often as a pastor, because people will say, but pastor, that person is such a good Christian. So for us, somehow, we have had this understanding and it's been programmed into us in North America that if you love Jesus, you don't face difficulty. And so then we sit in the moment when life is difficult, there must be something wrong. 
Or we go around thinking that there must be something wrong with that person's faith. Or maybe the Lord is punishing them. Go back to Job and what did Job's friends say? And Peter is being very honest to these ones who are facing all kinds of trials and tribulations. And we want to be honest with one another that good Christians go through difficulties. All kinds of them. And it has nothing to do about how spiritual they are or how close to the Lord they are. And sometimes those who are the closest to the Lord will go through the most difficult times of testing. And so Peter says, it's okay. And I want us to hear that. It's okay if your family is going through difficulty today. It has nothing to do about your spiritual fervency and your faith. That it falls on the good and the bad. And I think we need to be honest about it. And I think we need to talk about it. And here is the point that Peter is making. In the midst of all of that, you can have living hope today. Because God is keeping you. He, he goes on to say that God is keeping this inheritance in verse 4. There is an inheritance being kept in heaven for you. And then verse 5 he says you are being kept for it. See the word here actually is guarded. Some say guarded. Some say shielded. Uh, you know some say kept. King James says kept. It is a picture of military. It's the picture of a senatorial. Standing there, keeping that area by force. And so the picture here, what Peter is saying, no matter what you're going through in this day, that inheritance, that future hope, God is holding it for you. And praise God today, God is keeping you for it. And so you are being kept by the power and the hand of God. Doesn't matter what you're going through, you are being kept by God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. You know, what happens when we give up hope? What happens when we give up hope, people? Well, there was the reality of the Second World War <clears throat> in Korea and Vietnam later that many prisoners died from a condition doctors nicknamed give up -itis. It is an actual condition. You can Google it and look it up. The prisoners faced grim conditions and had no apparent prospect for freedom. And some became so demoralized and deeply mired in despair that after a while they turned apathetic and they refused to eat or drink. And they spent their time staring blankly into space and drained of hope. These prisoners gradually wasted away and died. The human spirit needs hope to survive and thrive said Dr. Arnold Hutschnecker. That's a good German name. Hutschnecker. And since we, since my early years as a physician, he said, I learned that taking away hope is to most people like pronouncing a death sentence. Their already hard-pressed will to live can become paralyzed, and they might give up and die. Pastor Mike heard some shocking news this week. Was it last year, Mike? The 10,000? 10,000 last year died in Canada to euthanasia alone. Do you realize that's the numbers that is happening in our country? That is not suicide. 
that is medical help death. 10,000 Canadians had medicine help them last year alone to opt out of this life. I broke my heart this week. Heartbreak. Why do I say that? I say it because if we're not careful, the church can have give up items. The church can come to a place, and this is why Peter wrote this letter. The church can come to a place where, oh, we're going through the motions and we're sitting in the pews and we're doing some of the things we used to do, but we have given up. We have lost the life. We have lost the hope. We have lost all that Christ has paid and purchased for our redemption. And Peter wanted to encourage those who were reading his letter, facing all kinds of trials and difficulties, and he wanted to remind them that you are resident aliens, that you are just passing through, but you have a living hope, people. And it's all being kept. He's keeping you. No matter what you're going to go through, he's going to keep you. And you're not alone. Praise God. He will hold us fast. Would you stand with us as we sing this song? Thank you.